Back again with the Property Powers, and we've got a, a third friend again today, Jai Cow. He's a he's a good friend of mine. He's been on uh, Smashed Over Property podcast before, but uh, I thought I'd get him back on because he's got an incredible portfolio and an incredible story to share. And uh, I really wanted to get Joey's input on on things and how things are running. But um, Jai, mate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me back, Jordan. It's great to be back, and yeah, great to have a chat to you guys again. Love what you're doing. Yeah, I'm super excited Jai, uh, for this. Go for it, Joey. Sorry, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Joey, um, obviously, we haven't met. We had a bit of a, a nice chat off air, both Sydney siders, so a bit of good banter early on. But, mate, um, I was doing a little bit of research into who was coming to the podcast uh, and, and did a quick little Google search on yourself and, and came across a couple <laughs> of uh, beautiful articles in the media. So I was able to get a pretty um, good rundown in terms of the portfolio. And, um, yeah, super impressive and First off, congratulations on building such a, a great portfolio. Um, but do you mind kind of, I suppose we're going to try and yeah go into the weeds a little bit and I hopefully, hopefully uh, happy to kind of share as much uh, and even the purchase prices and, and loan amounts, if that's okay with you, with the listeners, do you feel comfortable in terms of doing yeah, that with absolutely. sharing that information? I, I think wow. transparency is key and just honesty. Like for me, like I really just want to reach as many people, help empower, inspire people to invest early. Cause I think that's, you know, really important when it comes to building wealth. So absolutely happy to share any, any details. And speaking of speaking of investing early, I mean, what really got you into investing in, in the first place at such a young age? Yeah, for me, it really was seeing the compounding growth of property through my parents' investments. So my parents, I wouldn't say they're property investors. They bought a property um, in the Northern Beaches when they first came to Australia in the 1980s. And they actually met a family friend who was a mortgage broker at that time. And for them, they wanted to upgrade their home and also you know, bring me and my brother to a new school catchment area. And so they, at the time, they thought they had to sell their home to buy that property because they didn't have enough money. Then speaking to their kind of trusted advisor, being their mortgage broker, they actually said to them, look, well, you guys can actually buy another property and keep this property as an investment. And you know, over the long term, you can actually hold onto two properties. And through that, I was able to see, okay, well, they kept the property that we had at the Northern Beaches for over 10 years. And uh, in 2016, when we sold our Linfield home, during that time, they, I think I sold that property for about three times the amount that they purchased for. So from then on, I was just like, there is a lot of money to be made in property investing. And from then on, I was able to just, you know, really understand the power of compound growth because, you know, asset prices tend to increase over time if you buy well-located areas. And for me, I just knew I had to do something more smarter with my money you know, rather than it sitting into a bank account. And saving was quite slow. You know, every time that I would have a pay rise, I'd only save a little bit more, it would only be a couple of thousand dollars more. So I just kept looking at my bank account and I thought, you know, over the years, it kind of just stays the same. And, you know, I just had to look at smarter ways and talking to, you know, property investors, going on Google and YouTube um, forums, particularly property chat. I was able to learn so much about the world of investing, particularly property investing. Um, so that was really how my journey started. Mate, such a 
kind of powerful story and it's one that I know Jordan and I kind of rattled off on as well. And, and that's kind of how I know myself personally got into the field, not because my parents are property investors, but just watching some of the decisions that they've made, even in terms of the owner-occupied purchases and seeing how uh, that property has performed over the kind of 10, 20, 30 year horizon. Just for a bit of background context, um, do you mind giving the audience, a, a, I know, I suppose, just giving us a, an idea of how old you are currently? Yeah, so I turned 32 this year. So a spring chicken and in, and I just, yeah, don't want to give too much away so far, but how many properties are we going to be diving into? Currently I'm holding a property portfolio of five. So two in Sydney and their apartments. And I've got three houses in Queensland. Ripper, ripper, ripper stuff. So maybe if we just go back right to the very beginning, what was that number one? And where is it? Tell us a little bit about it. How much did you pay for it? And what, why did you buy that particular property? I mean, we know number one is um, the one that's riddled with the most amount of question marks and fear. And what, what was that like for you? Obviously, talk us through the motions of what you were thinking at the time. Yeah, good question. First starting out, honestly, just, you know, didn't have much knowledge. So I kind of just invested where I knew. Um, first one is in North Sydney. So it's a one bedroom apartment, um, quite a small apartment. It's only about 42 square meters internal, um, with car space and, um, storage is 56 square meters, but it's in quite a large high rise residential block. I think there's over, over a hundred apartments in that particular block. Um, so I think initially buying that property, I wanted to buy something in a well-located area that I knew there was always going to be strong demand and population growth. And North Sydney is quite a big CBD hub, but it's also become quite a large residential hub as well. Um, so for me, buying a, in an area that was well-located that I thought would have you know, long-term population growth and also employment prospects was quite important for me. So that's, where, that's why I choose, uh, chose North Sydney. Um, and also at that time, buying an apartment was only what I could afford in terms of borrowing capacity at that time, because Sydney was going through quite a big boom and I purchased around 2013. So that was kind of, you know, starting to see Sydney prices increase very quickly. And, 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 and given you're sharing what that, sorry, Jordan. And given some like hindsight that you have now, would you go back and, and do the same purchase? What would you change? Are you happy with it? Are you happy how it's performed? Yeah, that, that is a very interesting question. I would say I, I got lucky with timing because I bought on the cusp of a sitting boom. And so for the years after that, I was able to ride the waves and also extract quite a fair bit of equity out of that purchase. So I think I only bought purely based on luck at that timing. If I had reviewed my portfolio now, I wouldn't go back and buy there because I've seen quite a large oversupply of apartments in that area. And also... Last year during COVID, I was hit quite hard with uh, rental decreases. So that property was renting out for $515 a week, but I've had to drop that down to $400 a week. So quite a big difference in rental yield. Um, so the cost of actually holding that property has increased. And also what I've learned is that you really make money on the, on the land value itself because this, this block is quite a large high rise. I only own 42 square meters of this. So if you look at the, the building to land value ratio, then it's quite small in comparison. So in hindsight, if I had to choose again, I would buy land, buy something a little bit bigger like a house. 
Yeah, and I think it's but great that you, you've done well out of it, and you know now you can sort of look back and and see what the what the consequences are of you know and, and you spot on there. Like you, if you buy one in a block of one hundred, you really buy one one hundredth of that land. So uh, it it it's it's lucky that you've done well out of it and been able to get some equity, and obviously that's kick-started your, your property journey, but it's good that you've identified um, some some things you would change there. But sorry, Joe, I cut in there, mate. Yeah, yeah. no, I was just. Saying, going to say that, like oh, you mentioned there, that that's what your cash flow could allow you at the time. Obviously, you would have been quite young, not long into your kind of professional career. So, I mean, wouldn't be too hard on yourself. And I could think of much worse than than buying forty two square meters in North Sydney. Um, and obviously, I, I assume it's still holding a, a fairly good place in your in your portfolio. Um, and have you seen much growth in in that property uh, in the time that you've held it? Yeah, so I've seen quite a lot of capital growth in that apartment. So I bought it at four hundred twenty-eight thousand. Uh, recent valuation has come in around six hundred fifty thousand, so not too shabby. Um, so during that time, it's actually allowed me to pull some equity out, which has helped me get the deposit into property number two and three as well. And is that exactly what you did? Sorry, what was that? Is that what you did? Like, did you? Is that how you got into properties number two and three? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because um, saving saving my way to getting that deposit was always the hardest part. So the first one took a long time, you know, a couple of years of saving. Um, and then after that, I realized the power of using equity uh, from the property and also buying another property. So it was just such a smart thing. And also when I, when, you know, when I heard about that and also learned about it, it was like a massive gem. I think there was a really good point raised from both of you just then. And it's, it's the stepping stone property. Like, you know, being a, a property strategist, I kind of look at portfolios and for me, ultimately, I'd love to just get into, you know, two to five really A grade assets, you know, maybe they're a million dollars or whatever it might be. And, you know, properties done and dusted. Right. But there's this big conundrum of getting into those stepping stone properties because, you know, we were only capped at a certain amount of borrowing capacity. So you kind of, in a way, have to get into these stepping stone properties, do what Jai has done and, you know, manufacture, get some, get some growth out of it and pull out the equity and extract that equity to allow you to keep going. And, 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 and I guess going into that next property, Jai, how, how did that process look? Was it, because there's a bit of a gap here, correct me if I'm wrong, between the, the first and the second one. So how did that sort of play out? When did you realize that you could pull out this equity to go again? And then sort of what did you think about in terms of that second property or around the purchase? Did you go for the, the, the apartment route again? Did you avoid the apartment route? How does that sort of look? Yeah, so after the first purchase, it was just I just left it as is and didn't really think too much about it. Um, it took me three years to get into the next property. Only because I, I don't think I was educated enough. I didn't really know that you could use equity until I spoke to uh, a, a bank and also a mortgage broker. They were like, oh, did you realize that you can actually get a valuation done on the property to see how much it's worth and, and take out some equity? And I was like, oh, I had no idea how that worked. So, you know, it took me three years to realize that because um, I just assumed, oh, I've got to save up another 20% to get into the next property. Um, and so when I had found out about it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. So... At the time, we did a valuation on North Sydney, came in higher. So it was great. So I was able to take out some more equity. But at that time, city market had already moved quite a fair bit in three years' time, right? So property values had increased heaps. So I was priced out. My income hadn't grown that much at the time for me to buy another property in Sydney. So I decided to look elsewhere and actually spoke to a buyer's agent 
to look at investing uh, interstate and they had suggested investing in Queensland because Queensland had been quite flat for several years. Um, so my second purchase was buying a house in Wynnum, uh, which is kind of north of Brisbane, about 13 kilometers from the CBD. So yeah, there I bought about a 600 square meter piece of land and also a four bedroom house that sits on it. And the rental yield was really good. So it was pretty much neutral, which meant all of the uh, rental income had covered all of the property expenses after, you know, after everything. So to me, I was like, okay, well, this is, this is good. I really want to make sure that I can buy something that I can hold and not cost me too much money. And, and for that, the yield buying in Queensland was quite good. So I was able to cover all costs. So yeah, that's my, um, my next purchase. And at that point in time, did you have a bit of a diversification play proposition in your portfolio? Were you thinking about diversifying around Australia or is it just purely because the buyer's agent recommended that area? Yeah, diversification was important for me as well. Um, but the main, I think the main deciding factor was borrowing capacity and also the price point because I just wasn't able to really afford anything else in the Sydney market. Um, so I was happy to look elsewhere. And I also knew I wanted to buy a bit more land because I already had one apartment. I wanted to buy something a little bit larger where the, the building to land ratio was higher. So for me, buying and diversifying in that space was important. And Jai, in, in terms of like, I mean, at this time, you're still like relatively young guy, like how much, or, or if at all, were you kind of planning in terms of, were you thinking about the next one or was it purely at the time, all I'm focusing on is what this next property purchase is, what my cash flows are and what it's going to do for me? Or were you kind of always thinking about three, four and five at that time? I honestly, I didn't have too much of a strategy initially. I mean, I wish I did. I mean, in hindsight, if I had a bit more of a strategic focus and I think I would be able to plan these purchases in quicker succession. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think at the time I was just looking at, you know, what, what available resources are there, you know, borrowing capacity wise, how much can I borrow? How much cash have I got? I think, I think um, we're all a little bit like that though, aren't we? In terms of like, particularly we've all been through that phase of being super young investors. And I know myself personally, and it sounds like you were similar to that guy in terms of like, we're just thinking of, um, this upcoming purchase. And even if it means spending all the deposit that we've got or all the cash that we have on hand, we're, we're kind of in our early twenties or whatever we are. And we're pretty narrow minded and not kind of thinking about the plan moving forward or, or, or a wider strategy. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's, um, that's key. Like having a strategy and a goal. And if you, if you know that upfront, you have clarity around it, it's, it can help you get quite far on your investing journey. So we've got two down packed now. We're diversified around Australia. Tell us about number three. How, what was the time frame between two and three? And did you use the same sort of equity strategy to get into that one? Yeah, so kind of same kind of time frame. It took me another about three years to get into my next purchase for number three. And that was uh, Brighton La Sands. So that's um, not far from the Sydney airport area near the St. George area. You've got um, you know, some water near the near the airport there. Um, for me, I, I was just seeing the Sydney market because I think around 2017, Sydney had a bit of a dip. Um, and then kind of late 2018, early 2019, we started to see Sydney pick up again. So 
I wanted to get back into this into the Sydney market. We know that Sydney and Melbourne are the leading capital cities in Australia. So long-term, and I, and I always have a long-term view. Like for me, I want to hold on to my properties for many decades. I don't, I don't intend on selling any, any of my properties. So for me, I had a very long-term strategic view that I wanted to hold on for as long as I can. So I knew I always wanted to have a, a higher upweighting in my portfolio in the Sydney market. So I wanted to get back in and... You know, I worked with another buyer's agent at that time just because I was just so busy with work and I just didn't have the time to do the research. And so we identified that Brighton LaSense has been performing quite well in terms of capital growth and the yields aren't too bad. Um, so yeah, I got it into a two-bedroom apartment because I already hold a one-bedroom apartment. So I wanted something a little bit larger. That's a little bit more um, easier to rent out for tenants um, looking for larger space. So decided to buy another apartment in Brighton Los Angeles. But this time, after what I had learned, you know, with buying in high rises, I made sure to go to something that's low rise. So in this block, I think there's only 12 apartments. So very tightly held, um, you know, high, higher owner occupier ratio as well. So that means most of the people that own the block are actually owners. So it's well maintained. Maintenance is quite good. The strata fees are quite low. So from a maintenance perspective and also holding onto the property, it seemed to make a lot more sense. Yeah, and like for you've already kind of touched on, but for out of town, is it's a it's a really beautiful part of Sydney. Um, I I'm there basically every Sunday going for a walk down along Botany Bay there. So in your kind of little neck of the woods, and I think Jai's really touched on something that we covered off on previous podcast, Jordan, in terms of uh, the the fundamentals of of that purchase just made sense. He was, he was looking at those lifestyle drivers. What is it? it there's Brighton, the stands full of cafes, restaurants. Obviously, you got the water as a the main attraction for people to to move in there. Higher as as he mentioned, higher owner occupier um, percentages rather than tenants, and obviously just all of those. Yeah, as I said, the, the, the fundamentals beneath that purchase just made sense. And he kind of learnt his lesson along the way and really just uh, improved himself along. And Jai, has that one performed well for you? I mean, it's only, you've only really held it for what, a couple of years, but how's that performed for you so far? Yeah, still early days. I only, only bought that in late 2019. So hadn't haven't held it for too long. Um, but I did a valuation on that property recently and it came in around 630 to I think 650. So it's gone up a little bit. I also did a small renovation on that property. Um, so for me, I actually really enjoy renovating and also adding value to properties through cosmetic renovations. Um, so it was a very, very basic, very cheap renovation where I just changed the floorboards, did some new lighting, painting, you know, changed some of the, the fixtures. And that only cost me $6,000, but I was able to increase the rent by $50 a week. So it was a pretty good outcome. Nice. That's a, that's a great outcome. And I think... You know, the the knowledge and the learning and the understanding between purchase one and purchase three is is substantial. Like you you really you know, although you know the first one's a one bedroom unit and the, the second and the third one's a, a two bedroom unit, they're a little bit different there, but the, the fundamentals are completely different. You know, buying in a block of twelve, you know, you you buying one twelfth of the land instead of one one hundredth. I don't know how many was in the original block, but you've really obviously learnt the distinction between the two there and going for those fundamentals as Joey just touched on. So number number three down packs now, and then uh, the, the the next two are, are actually quite interesting because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they were they were bought at the same time and kind of at the same sort of price point, in the same area. Sort of walk me through how that purchase purchase played out. Yeah, so for me, after property number three, I kind of hit a wall with borrowing capacity, and 
So what I've realized is in property investing, there are two key resources. The first resource is how much equity or how much cash you have. And then the second resource is your borrowing capacity. Now these two are never equal at the same time. So, you know, each person is different. One will generally have one higher than the other. So for me, it was borrowing capacity wasn't strong enough. So I needed for me to increase my borrowing capacity, I needed to buy properties that have a high cash flow or higher yield. So I was then looking in areas where I could get high cash flows. And I started researching the Logan area because I know there's a lot of investors who go to that Logan Southeast Queensland area to look for investment properties because the yields around five, 6%. And for me, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for properties that could give me a high yield so I could add to my borrowing capacity. And hence why I was looking, looking in those areas. Um, and the timing was also quite strategic. It was right in the middle of COVID. Um, and I knew at that time, just the market was quite fearful of investing, obviously with what was happening around the economy and around the world. Um, but again, and I had a long-term strategic view that I was going to hold these properties for very long-term, you know, for many decades to come. So I wasn't too worried about the short-term waves, you know, whether the property market was going to drop a little bit, I wasn't too concerned. So I took, the, took advantage of the timing and, you know, put some aggressive offers in on these properties. And I believe I did buy them under market value. Because uh, at the time, a lot of the sellers were just very keen on, you know, getting rid of the properties. Yeah, awesome. And so tell us a little bit more about them. What type of dwellings are they? Um, how many beds? How many baths? Are they, are they close to each other? And how does that sort of work? Were they, did you put two offers out and then get two returns? Like how did the, the purchasing work? Yeah, so they're both houses. So they're both four-bedroom houses in the same suburb. So Crestmead is, um, it's not too far. I would say look like it's not heaps far from, from Brisbane CBD, probably about uh, 25 kilometres um, southeast of Brisbane and probably just under an hour away from Gold Coast. So I think the location-wise is not bad. Like it's definitely on the outer skirts of Brisbane. Um, but I think, you know, as, as you can see what's happened with Sydney and Melbourne property prices, you know, as, as property prices get expensive in the city and also the suburban areas around there, people move out further and further out. Right. And so you kind of have that domino effect where the, where the suburbs surrounding suburbs actually increase in value over time. And, you know, those far away suburbs like in Sydney, people think, you know, the Western suburbs are never going to grow. But if you look at the house values in, in the Western suburbs compared to, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they absolutely have grown heaps. So for me, it wasn't really too much of a, a worry buying out, you know, buying out further out. Um, but again, I wanted to buy land. I wanted to buy houses. Um, and also in those areas that were very popular amongst young families. Um, so a lot of people, you know, starting out having, you know, one or two kids so looking for a three or four bedroom house. Uh, rental yields were also very strong. Um, so, yeah, and at the time I was just making many offers on multiple properties in that area. So I was just seeing, you know, which which one would get, you know, get me the best outcome. And have you, in the time that you've held them, I mean, have you been to any of them? So obviously you got three up in Southeast Queensland. I know we had some kind of travel restrictions, but have you seen... Any of them? I mean, Wyndham, you, you, you purchased a, a fair few years ago, but have you been through any of them or, or everything sight unseen? Personally, I haven't seen the properties only because I couldn't travel to Queensland at the time. I really wanted yep. to go, but the borders were closed. 
So I had to rely on uh, my property manager. So I would say yeah. in property investing, I would like to say the, the most important and, you know, most important person really in your, is, in your team is a property manager. because they're How the underestimated are they? They're so underestimated. A lot of people think it's, you know, the mortgage broker or, or the, the buyer's agent. You know, they're very important people. But I think the most important person is the property manager honestly yeah you're exactly right and but how did how was the psychology i mean obviously you're a pretty experienced investor by this point but how's the psychology behind making these offers and pulling the trigger on two purchases without seeing them in and amongst the one and only major pandemic we've experienced in our lifetime yeah it, it definitely wasn't easy i did lots of online research made sure i do did all my due diligence you know check flood maps check photos try to go back far as well to see if there's any existing photos. Um, what I did learn was actually advertised photos on real estate may not always reflect what you see in person. You know, they can be editing. I think that one of the properties on the photos had, you know, really vibrant green grass. And then when it got inspected, there was like, it was just dirt. <laughs> so, you know, things like this, it's important to make sure you get someone to site see the property so i had to rely on my property manager so she's really in tune with the market and just a really great asset so she was able to inspect the property for me take lots of photos from different angles and send them all to me and then from there on i was able to make a you know pretty good decision i think this is one that that, kind of that comes up quite regularly i think you know first time investors and even maybe second or third time investors kind of get a little bit you know uh, they don't really like the feeling of not being able to go and touch and feel and look at all these different things that you look for in a property. What do you think was it that enabled you to have faith in your property manager? Firstly, how did you find the property manager? And then secondly, how did you, what was it that enabled you to trust them that much that you were confident in their ability to identify any issues that might happen or be only the property? I've been working with this property manager for ever since I started property investing. So since 2013, so they have an office in Queensland and also New South Wales, different property manager, the same company. So they essentially manage my whole portfolio. So I've trusted them since day one and they've, they've constantly shown me how much value they can add, you know, making sure they're very, very diligent and also the screening process and finding tenants is is you know really really high you know sometimes i'll even turn away tenants that they think aren't good quality so i absolutely trust them which is why it was i was able to it was an, able to enable me to make this decision quite quickly because i was able to get their their feedback and also trust but i do agree to your point buying site unseen particularly interstate is actually really really hard particularly when you mm. can't touch or see the property and it's definitely not a, not something a novice investor could do, to be honest. If I had to do this for my first property, I definitely would be very fearful and probably wouldn't have done it. And Jai, people think that property investing is this uh, quick, get rich quick, and it's all sexy and we're all making millions of dollars. You alluded to a little earlier that there was a bit of a rental decrease um, with the North Sydney property, but do you, do you mind sharing a couple of the other battle scars that you've gotten and being as, as raw and honest and, and, as you can, obviously maybe throughout the, the COVID period or any other hiccups that you, you face along the way? Yeah, you're spot on. Property investing is definitely not a get rich quick scheme. It's it definitely something that you need to be able to hold on to for a long term. And 
I think long-term really, you know, like even 10 years is probably not long enough. You really need to hold these properties for, for multiple decades to really see the compounding of wealth really come to play. And yeah, like the, I think the main thing that a lot of people aren't aware of is, you know, you need to be able to budget for property expenses like maintenance and repairs. Um, this will vary from property to property, but I think having a buffer in place is important. And for me, um, you know, my properties aren't very new. A lot of them are actually quite old, um, but I see value in that because you can always you can always fix a building, you can always renovate it. So I was expecting there would be some maintenance issues. So, yeah, I mean, during not just limited to during COVID, but you know, during throughout the lifetime that I've had these properties, there's been stuff that I've seen where I've had to repair from as you know from as small as you know fixing fixtures, uh, changing doorknobs to um, more major uh, fixes like uh, re-grouting, retiling certain areas, particularly in the bathroom where there's leaks. Um, you know that some of those things can cost quite um, quite high. So you know in the high couple of hundreds or potentially even thousands. So I think just having a bit of a buffer in place um, and ultimately having enough cash flow to hold on to these properties is key because rents do change, like we did see during COVID. You know I had to reduce my rent by over hundred dollars a week on the North Sydney apartment. So for me, just making sure that I have enough buffer to, to ride out the waves, then, um, you know, in the long term, you'll, you'll be safer. I think you, you've touched on some really, really good points there. And obviously you've learned so much through your journey and, and what you've invested in and with the equity and all of that. And I think, you know, between the three of us, there's a, there's a bit of a common theme in terms of, you know, property is our passion. And really when something's your passion, you kind of want to turn it into a career. And, you know, all of us individually have been able to do that. And funnily enough, it's in our own sort of little distinct areas, but um, correct me if I'm wrong, Jai, but you've, you've started to delve into the mortgage broking space now, uh, or we have been for a little while. And that's purely sort of based out of, you know, the relationship that you had built with the, the mortgage broker mentor that you had, throughout your, your investing journey. Do you want to maybe delve into a little bit about more about that story? And then um, after that, maybe sort of, you know, how, 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 how's your, how has your perception changed around the, the mortgage space since you've done that? Yeah. So I obviously am very passionate about property and I've, you know, been doing this for a few years now. So for me, at the end of last year, I decided I want to uh, do something a little bit different. I'd been working in the corporate marketing space for over 10 years. But during that time, I'd always been investing in property, trying to grow my wealth on the side. Um, and I came to realization that I wanted to start up my own mortgage broking business after seeing how my mortgage broker was able to help me leverage one property into five properties. It, it, you know, it wasn't with... It, without this help, I couldn't have done it on my own. So from that realization and also passion, I wanted to create my own brand and my own mortgage broking business where I can help other investors or everyday Australians essentially you know, turn their active income into passive income in long term. And for yourself personally, like you, we've covered off a, a, a really great portfolio, but is that it for you in terms of like expanding it or are we on a little bit of a hiatus to kind of build out the professional career or, or how does the the portfolio move from here yeah i'd love to keep keep investing but at the moment because of just current circumstance where i'm just focusing on business income um i'm, I, I'm unable to borrow 
uh, at the moment, just for the short term. So for me at the moment, I'm just focusing a lot on business, the mortgage broking space, helping other people. And then when I'm ready to borrow, I would love to continue investing. For me, I think I'll, I, I would just continue investing in properties. Um, you know, as long as there are opportunities around the country to buy, I will always continue doing so. That's, that's a, a phenomenal approach and kind of where I'm at at the same point too, kind of stop to uh, pursue my passion and my dreams. And fortunately, I can't borrow. I've got to wait two years of financial tax returns to be able to borrow again. But that's all right. It's uh, something that we all deal with along the journey. But I guess sort of taking that mortgage broking stance now, I mean, how was the, uh, the, the learning curve? And I guess, do you have some sort of high level tips that you'd like to share with everyone in terms of, you know, how to, how to go from maybe one to two to five properties? Yeah, definitely learned a lot. And I think having property investing experience has absolutely helped heaps um, because there's not many brokers that I've worked in in the past that actually are investors themselves. So for me, I wanted to position myself as a investment savvy mortgage broker you know, having gone through the process many times, you know, going through multiple transactions and going to, you know, a myriad of, of property inspections, researching in the market, talking to different buyers agents, talking to property managers, you know, having built a trusted network of professionals in the industry has absolutely been a big asset for me. And I'm, you know, very grateful that today I'm able to, you know, share this information with, you know, first home buyers or first time investors or even seasoned investors. And, yeah, I've learned so much just about the space. And I think one key thing is, you know, a lot of people just think there are the major banks available. But in fact, in Australia, there's actually so many different banks. I think there's probably over 50, 60 banks. So, you know, there's always a bank. Um, each bank has a different policy. And for me, being in the mortgage broking space, my job is to help people create a finance strategy and looking at, looking at a lending strategy to be able to help them get their goals because uh, ultimately, you know, we all want to build wealth, but having a strategic uh, way of doing things like you guys had mentioned earlier is really key to kind of setting that foundation. And that's kind of why we've always, you know, distilled in being able to use a, you know, a strategic mortgage broker to help set you up because they do have access to multiple avenues, multiple banks, multiple lending sources, and, you know, can sort of set you up in, in from the get-go to continue to build out your portfolio. So, um, Thanks for your, your your input into the space, mate. It's a, it's definitely well deserved out there. And as you stated before, there's not a lot of you know really good investment savvy mortgage brokers out there. Should we test yeah. him with his crystal ball and mate, are the rates going up, down, sideways? What's happening? <laughs> mate, you can you can test him on whatever you like, mate. I'll leave him alone, the poor bloke. <laughs> oh, look, I think yeah, with with interest rates. God knows what's going to happen. There's been, there's, you know, it, it can change any any time. But I think in the short term, I think it, rates are going to stay pretty low for the while. You know, with with just so much um, recovery happening across, not just in Australia but also worldwide. You know, we really need to get employment back to normal levels. So I think in the short term, whilst we have seen re- recovery better than uh, what we expected, I think interest rates will remain quite low for the for the short period. Well, here's, here's something. So, okay, so people always talk about how important interest rates are. And I'm not saying that they're not important, but we've been on record saying that they shouldn't base your, they shouldn't be the basis of your decision. Can we hear it from a broker? Like, is that a, a big part of your decisioning when, when making investment decisions? Like as a broker for yourself personally, do you take that into great consideration? 
That is a great point, Joey. Yeah, not, not many people actually think about that at a macro level. Um, and 100% great. Interest rate isn't the only deciding factor. I think it's one part of it, but it shouldn't be the deciding factor for your strategic portfolio because there are banks out there, for example, there's two, tier two lenders. I'm not sure if you guys know what a tier two lender is, but essentially they're a non-bank. So their policy is a little bit different. The way that they assess foreign capacity is also quite different. Um, and in current environment, there is also a lot more aggressive as well. That's why you're seeing a lot of competitive offers across all banks. So if you can get more lending through a tier two bank, but their rate is slightly higher, but if that allows you to get into another, you know, one or two properties that will compound at say, you know, five, 6% annual capital growth, then to me, that sounds like a better opportunity than trying to save one or 2% on my interest rate. Amen to that. Yeah, I think it's a, a common thing. People want to chase the best rate. That's kind of what they're, they're looking for. But really, and, and it's not even, you know, second tier lenders. I mean, second tier lenders do have a big impact, but also different other things like having availability to an offset account. Some banks have different policies on that. And, you know, there's so many different strategies that you can put towards sort of building out your portfolio and tax and everything else. And there's, a, there's a, such a broad range of um, different selections that you can go through by using a strategic mortgage broker and they can uh, walk you through that. So, yeah, I mean, we've always been a, a big, big advocate of that, but um, mate, any sort of final words there in terms of advice or insights or hindsight or anything you'd, you'd like to pass on to the listeners uh, who, who may be starting out their portfolio? Yeah, I think for first-time investors, the best piece of advice that I can give is that there is no there is no best time to buy. I think the best time to buy is really dependent on when you're ready. And when you're ready, that means that could be different for each person. It could be, you know, when you're ready financially, when you're ready mentally, when you just feel like overall you've got enough knowledge to make that next step. But there is no right time in the market. If you look at what has happened in house prices since, you know, the last 100 years, house prices have always continued to go up. But if you, if you, you know, look at just a short-term range, prices do go, you know, sideways. They, they have dips, you know, they can be volatility, not as volatile as the share market, but there is volatility, you know, no matter what in all asset classes. So I think it's really, really important to think long-term. A lot of people try to think, you know, how much money they can make in a couple of years, you know, 10 years, to me, 10 years still seems like quite a short time frame. So if you're in the game to make quick money, then I don't think property investing is the right vehicle. But if you are looking to have you know, long-term wealth, then property investing is quite a secure and safe asset if you just look at historical um, averages across all capital cities. So I think key here is just to really understand how property investing works and have the long-term mindset of holding properties long-term. And do your research. I mean, talk to as many people as you can uh, um, you know, real estate agents, buyers agents, and also just, you know, going on to free resources, like going on to property chat, which has been a massive, um, you know, help for me for my journey. It's a, it's, a, it's probably Australia's largest forum of property investors. I think there's over 10,000 people on there. It's free. It's unbiased. You know, you've just got a bunch of people who just love property. So I think it's a great resource. There's many books out there as well. Podcasts, um, specifically for property. I think property investory advisory, that's one of them. And another one is property investment. Um, magazine so there's quite a few out there that you can just listen to and a lot of these stuff is all free and just try to understand the market try to understand the process involved um, there's a lot of data and metrics as well so the more you understand this it all starts to make sense 
Mate, can I just, before we kind of round out, we've had a, a really great session. We've gone into the weeds. We've been given a bit of advice in terms of mortgage broking strategy. Um, but I just wanted to, for the listeners, because I mean, even I'm very curious as well. So I imagine some of the listeners would be as well, just to round out your portfolio. Do you mind sharing with us, with us like that rough dollar value in terms of today, what we're looking at? Yeah, I think I haven't um, looked at all the latest numbers, but I think it's probably sitting around that 2.8 million portfolio mark across the five properties. Yeah, super impressive. And, and, uh, and a rough LVR position? Around 70, 70% LVR. And you're pretty comfortable with that at the moment? Yeah, I'm pretty comfortable. Cash flow to me is most important. So yep. as long as I, I have a you know, for me, if I can have a neutral, then, then that to me is comfortable. If it's, if it's, um, you know, a bit more positive cash flow, then that's great. Even better. So at the moment it's, um, positive cash flow. So it's not costing me money to hold in current, current environment because of the rates are so low. But as I mentioned before, like if there is a buffer there. So if rates do go up, then I'm not too worried because I've got some buffers to cover it. Yeah. Well, so listeners, there you have it. Five properties. We're talking multi-million dollars worth. Um, almost hitting that $3 million uh, mark and just the age of 32. So super impressive stuff. Jordan, I, I mean, I loved today's podcast. Um, I'm sure the listeners would have as well, but mate, thanks so much for, for bringing Jai on. Jai, it's been a, a pleasure to meet you um, and, and hopefully we can get you back on to kind of track how things are going and maybe to pick your brain uh, about a, a, one or two things regarding uh, lending. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Love to share a bit more next time. Thank you, mate. Thanks for being so open and honest and you know, giving us some some insights there about your journey and some of maybe some of the hiccups, some of the bad things, some of the good things. But uh we, yeah, I mean we'd love to get you back on and, and progress your portfolio and see how you're tracking. And as as Joey just mentioned, you know, what what's happening in the lending space. Maybe we can get you on for a bit of a change in lending or something like that down the line. But <laughs> listeners, if you uh if you loved today's chat don't be shy to uh, give us a, a review and wherever you're listening we, we really appreciate uh any review that gets sent across it really motivates us to to continue to get guests like jai on and have these open and honest conversations i mean this is for me these types of conversations were always fundamental in building out my portfolio and understanding how how people are able to do it even you know the honesty about going from property one to two was three years then two to two to three was another three years it's not you know something that happens overnight it's not you know zero to ten properties in 12 months these are real portfolios real stories and and, and real you know situations of how these things happen so don't be scared to give us a review and as always uh, nothing that we've said today can be taken as personal advice uh, you know we don't know your, your individual circumstances so uh, everything is just general in nature we're just three good blokes having a chat about property but uh, thanks again listeners for listening in and uh, we'll see you soon